I'm Amber. And I'm Becca. From cranberries to cows and everything in between, this is Forward Farming. Hey guys. Welcome back to Forward Farming. Becca, I'm not even going to ask how you are because <laughs> we'll save that for next week because fine. <laughs> yeah, everything's great. Oh, I am, I'm I am excited to, uh, of emotions. Yeah. And I figure we'll give you like another week to kind of digest and get used to your new life before we talk about it. <laughs> yeah. It's um, all I can say right now is that it's, it's not going as expected. Like last week, I you know how it was like, I just want to like relax for a day. Total opposite of, of relaxing. I know it's, it's been nuts. So we'll see how this week plays out. Yeah. But um, yeah, you've had your hands full this week and I saw you were on the road quite a bit. Yeah. I put a lot of miles on this past I, week. <laughs> I, uh, uh, oh, where'd go you go? Ahead. What'd you do? What was your biggest adventure? Oh man. Okay. Well, we took some pigs in, which was exciting because pigs are kind of turds to, to load sometimes. And they did really well. I was impressed. They, we had to, we got about like five because it had to be at the um, locker plant at seven, seven thirty in the morning. And yeah, well, like you can bring them up the the day before, but Joey worked till seven that night. And like loading pigs is just not something I'm ever going to do by myself. Like I just, I know, I know myself. I, <laughs> they are the devil. Let me tell you that. So anyways, we, we woke up pretty early and we're getting better at it. Like Joey, um, made like kind of a little path with hay bales and stuff. So they, they couldn't knock those over because we've used like gates and panels before and they just plow right through those. They're, sure. they're no dummies. So, um, that was one thing that I hauled. I picked up a lot of beef and like delivered a lot of beef this week, which was exciting. And then I got... 40 chickens. That's so many chickens. <laughs> Technically, I think it was 41, but so oh. many chickens. You so, traveled all that way and they threw one in for free, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was buy 40, get one free. It was a hell of a deal. Yes. Um. So this was up by Cashton. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, my friend Sarah kind of knew, like she knew that I was kind of looking for chickens because mine aren't laying the best. We don't have a ton of chickens left, but I've got, I've had a lot of people ask me for eggs lately, especially with prices in the, you know, grocery store and stuff like that. That's the story for another day. But so I was kind of in the lookout for them and uh, a friend of Sarah's is a chicken farmer and happened to be like switching out uh, his, his flock, I guess you could say. So I learned so much about chicken farming in this like hour that I was there. It was, it was so cool. I, I'm hoping I told him that I wanted to get him on the podcast and he told me that he wasn't sure he'd like be a good guest. And I was like, literally this conversation that we're having, this is all you have to do. <laughs> like, It was so interesting. Um, so at the facility that we were at, he had two different barns and I think he's got other locations as well, but both of these barns held 20,000 chickens each. And I was like, so many chickens, but that's what I thought. And he's like, oh, we're just like, we're small fry here. Like other farms, they'll have barns with like 300,000 in them. I'm like, yeah, oh, I can't imagine how big those barns are. Cause the barn that we were in was pretty big. There's... there's a lot of chicken farmers up there. I didn't know that either. I mean, it was so cool though. There was like three different, like 
levels, I guess you could say. Uh, and they had water and food. And then they went up to the very top to to lay their eggs. And there's like this giant conveyor across the top then that would take the eggs into uh, the packing room. Wild. Yeah. And he said, like, you still have to walk the barn because not all of them will go lay up there. So, like, if they lay just on the floor or, like, in the, I don't know, the different levels, they kind of, like, roll to the end and then you have to pick them up. And he's like, sometimes there's 50, sometimes there's, like, 200 eggs. Just depends wow. on the day. But these are technically free range, so they're not, like, in cages or anything. Except at night, the doors shut. Um, I'm guessing just because they're all up there roosting anyways. And then you could see, too, that they had an area outside for when it was nice out that, like, they could go outside, too. So it was just, it was so cool. Um, but they, they like, replace their flock every 15 months. And so these chickens that were there, they were still laying at, like, 80, 85%. So that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty good, right? But obviously, as a chicken farmer, like, you you want to get the most. So I'm sure there's a lot of science behind like egg production and all that, but they're past their peak. So they bring in a new flock and then they get rid of these other ones. And a lot of them, there was like a truckload that was going to Chicago. Um, the Amish were wow. actually there. Um, I think he hires them to come in to, to load them in like the crates and stuff like that. And they just go to all these places. So we were lucky enough, um, there was a group of three of us we got like 100 total and uh so it was like it was nothing compared to you know what these other people were getting but yeah it was it was so cool and they um they um are kind of like well they all lay brown eggs but they almost look a little bit like naked right now I thought they were molting maybe but um actually I didn't know this but he said that like when they get to the age that they're at, which is probably another reason they get rid of them at this age, they almost start to lay too big of eggs. So they have to really oh. cut down on their protein and the feed. And once when they cut down on the protein and the feed, sometimes they like start pecking at each other. I don't know if that's like a way to try and get the protein. Um, so, so there's a couple of them that are a little bit naked that apparently got picked on. But yeah, they're oh. all doing really, they're doing really well. They, they handled the drive back. We just had them in the, um, like the calf box that I bring calves home in and I had tried, it was so cold on Friday. It was like negative, I don't know what wind chills. And so I had brought a blanket to put over like the end and I tried tying it and I went like a mile down the road and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work out. So I was a little worried, but they did really good without having anything on the back. There wasn't too much wind and yeah, I got like two dozen eggs today. So that was exciting. <laughs> I'm probably going to be like in over my head in a couple of days, but that's okay. Do you have to, did you have to quarantine them from the birds you already had before you introduce them to each other? So With like all like, of the avian flu stuff going on or oh, are you just throw them in the mix and they're fine? I just, no, I didn't do that. Um, I didn't really think about that, but like I, technically those birds were kind of all like quarantine you know, they were all healthy. So I guess I didn't think too much of it. I, a lot of our chickens don't even go in the coop at night anymore. A lot of them roost in the barn. Um, so there was maybe like five or 10 chickens um, in the coop when I put the rest of them in there. And there was one rooster. I was thinking I was going to have to kick them out, but they've all gotten along really, really well. Good. So I'm thankful for that. I'm not going to let them 
out of their coop probably for like a week or two just because I want them to get used to it and especially the ones that aren't quite fully feathered Mm -hmm. at the time I don't want them to like get sick or something for or you know get too cold or whatever so yeah everyone they mesh together really well I think because there were so many of them because I've had before where I've like introduced one or two just that someone is getting rid of and they'll get picked on just because they're they're like outnumbered so I think the fact that I brought so many home probably helped as well but yeah yeah it's exciting cool that's fun um speaking of pigs going going back a little bit do you follow April um glam farm wife I do on, did you see the <laughs> they have pigs did you see the video that she posted of her daughter this last I don't week think so there is um a video of she like zoomed in on the back of it must have been a male pig's butt and there were some so her daughter was giggling and April was like, what are you laughing at? And she's like, look at that pig's booty cheeks. And they weren't booty the cheeks, but they were very <laughs> big. And she's just like giggling. Teddy said, those are the booty cheeks. And it was just the cutest thing ever. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, I did not see that. Hold on. I'm trying so to find it So you guys, you guys when did she post go- it? Um, it was last week sometime. Like oh, maybe Thursday so or funny. something, but it was super cute. <laughs> I watched it a couple, couple dozen times because it was that good. So you guys will have to go look her up and, and tell her we said hi. Say, look at them booty cheeks. <laughs> but yeah, I well then I'm I don't, busy right now. Oh yeah, I don't I don't think I would do well with pigs. They kind of scared <laughs> me a little bit. Did you find it? <laughs> I did. Oh, that is so cute. Because those are some big booty cheeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we don't, uh, all of ours are castrated. Like none of them have balls, but Joey wants to keep one of the uh, guilt, the girl, one of the girls back and um, breed it. Oh, so that no. we can have piglets. So we'll see how that goes. Good luck. Count me out for that. I'm like, I don't know if you just can rent a boar or like obviously there's artificial insemination I don't know if it's the same as doing a cow we did it in college but it they've got like a corkscrew um thing you know no but I don't want to know okay (laughs) that's that's all right I don't want to talk about it um anyways we have a a fun (laughs) guest today let's let's take a hard left turn (laughs) okay yeah so a few weeks ago, gosh, this was before the new year, I think. Yeah, I think but it was before Christmas even. It seems you so talked. long ago. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down with Kenny Fahey. Uh, he is Leading Harvest president and CEO. Um, yeah, of Leading Harvest, obviously. Um, and I hadn't really heard of Leading Harvest before they had reached out to us, but it is, it's a very cool program that is, I think, really big with crop farmers and really big um, on the... West Coast. Sorry, I had to do the never eat soggy waffles to figure out where the West Coast was. Um, anyway, this is going well. So anyways, Leading Harvest is a U.S. nonprofit that advances sustainable agriculture and food production through its unique universal farmland management standard. 
um, basically they're raising the standards for regenerative agriculture literally from the ground up. And they they do a lot with crop farming. They're trying to kind of get into um, being able to work with cattle farmers and um, those with like other animals. Um, but right now their main focus is crops. And what they do is they work with with the farmers and they kind of go through their um, production standards and their SOPs to kind of see how sustainable they are and how they can make better choices um, for consumers and for themselves to to keep the land healthy and to keep it available in the next generation. So it's been pretty cool. Uh, Kenny was working with a conservation fund until he started at Leedy. He's super passionate about um, about the program and about helping farmers. Right now, I think they have enrolled more than 1.3 million acres across 29 states um, with this program. And they successfully guided the organization to expand internationally to Australia in 2021. So they are doing really great things. I think we're going to hear more of them. I think that um, it's just, it's kind of, I don't want to say a startup company, but it's still a, a fairly new company that's really changing the game of agriculture because, you know, what's the number one thing we hear in agriculture from consumers? We want to be more sustainable. We want, you know, we want to do better. And so Leading Harvest is is helping with that. So it was a really awesome conversation that I had. He probably does a way better job of explaining the whole process than what I just did, but it was really fun. All right, Kenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you just want to start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be working with Leading Harvest? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is uh, Kenny Fahey. I'm the president and CEO of Leading Harvest, which is a nonprofit organization, which I imagine we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, in terms of my own background, so, you know, I got sort of a passion and interest in agriculture and sustainable agriculture in particular uh, when I spent some time working as a butcher at a sustainable and local butcher shop that was really committed to sourcing locally. And I really appreciated that experience, um, both for it gave me a little bit of insight into the complexity and the tremendous amount of work that goes into the food system, and also the really important intimacy that consumers have with the food that they consume. And I really like that sort of nexus of this really complex, hardworking sector with something at the end of the day is serving a really like personal purpose for, for individuals. And I just thought that that was really fascinating. And so um, as many people's do, uh, but I ultimately ended up uh, getting a degree in a master's of business and also a master's in environmental science. Uh, Cause I was interested in that intersection of, you know, the business and economics of food systems, but also the sustainability of food systems and the use of natural resources. Uh, I spent some time with an organization called the Conservation Fund, which is committed to conserving lands across the U.S. And in particular, spent time with them focused on protecting working lands, so protecting you know working farmland and working uh, forest. And ultimately, that led me to this role now with Leading Harvest, which I'm uh, doing today and absolutely love. Great. So, how long have you been with Leading Harvest? Yeah, so I was involved with Leading Harvest really since its inception. Um, we're a relatively new nonprofit organization, formally launched in the spring of 2020, right before COVID, which was an interesting time to get a new oh, business I bet. <laughs> running. Um, 
But uh, uh, the the history for Leading Harvest goes back to about 2017. Uh, I was with the Conservation Fund. We were approached by a group of farmers, producers, landowners, and sustainability experts around trying to create a better program for sustainable agriculture. And I helped to manage that project within the Conservation Fund, and then it became its own initiative in, in 2020. So uh, really since 2017, I've been working on it. And that's great. Um, I got to go back to the butcher. Were you just like in high school that you started working there? Or, like not many kids would, are like, oh, I should go do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I was out of college when I went. To oh, Gary wow. Right? Okay. And I was living, uh, I was living in San Francisco at the time. And just, I, you know, it was like the rent check was coming due and I needed something to do. And I walked down to the lo- local butcher shop and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'll sweep the floors, I'll mop the floors, you know, whatever you need. And thankfully, they had an open position and I spent some time there. And it was great. I mean, I, w- I would not claim uh, to be an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it gave me enough of an insight into what was going on to kind of understand the experience a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, we've got a pretty close relationship with our um, local butcher shop that we take our steers to. And just to see everything that goes into processing an animal, like it's incredible how much they can process in a day and like how pretty much nothing goes to waste. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's really remarkable. It's, it's, it's both enormously efficient and it's kind of an art form at the same time. It's a really, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a very cool thing to see if you ever have the opportunity to have any insight into it. Definitely. It, it makes you appreciate that steak a little bit more just knowing all the work that went into it you know like obviously raising them that is a lot of work but to to butcher them that takes a special person too to to be able to harvest that meat and do it efficiently you're you're so right and 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 you have direct experience in a step in the journey that i've not had direct experience in but it's just like every step in that in that supply chain is just there's so much work so much complexity as a consumer you can totally forget that Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's wonderful to get a little view into it because it really makes you appreciate, er- you know, everything that happens to put food on the table. Right. And I think, uh, you know, the timing with leading harvest was kind of a good time as well, because it seemed like once COVID hit, um, people really started to be aware of where their food was coming from because they mm-hmm. they could go into the grocery store and not know if they were going to find what they were looking for. So I think it really turned a lot of heads to for them to you know get to know their farmer and stuff especially around here um we had just a huge amount of people um new customers that that really wanted local beef from a local farmer because one they you know they could meet us and know how it was being raised but then at the same time they knew that they'd have a supply of it a hundred percent you know i think people started showing up at the grocery store and they're you know everyone got into baking and people were looking for bags of flour and you know it wasn't on the store shelf and then that immediately precipitates the question of well how does this flour get here in the first place and i think it really opened up people's you know eyes to trying to understand a little bit more of that food system and uh and it it, it you know obviously there's nothing about covid that is fortuitous but but there was an awareness that was raised in that process that that aligned with the launch of our business Definitely. So we kind of know, you know, when it started and stuff, how exactly is it bringing sustainability to, to scale? Is it, is it mostly um, working with farmers to help them be more sustainable or how are you guys going about doing that? Yeah. And I'll tell you sort of what the kind of thought process was of the group that came together back in 2017. 
Because as you know, I mean, there's no shortage of sustainability initiatives currently in agriculture. Where we saw a gap and really an opportunity is when we looked at that landscape, we said, okay, there's a lot of good work being done. The challenge is, is that it in the in the market then it tended to be sort of siloed into you know supply chain specific supply chains or crop types or geographies. And the challenge with that is it had sort of led to an enormous proliferation of standards, initiatives, reporting frameworks. And for this group, what they recognize is, you know, from a producer perspective, for somebody who's close to the land, that leads to a huge administrative headache. You know, if you have different markets that you're trying to sell into and everybody's asking you to report out sustainability using different frameworks, you've sort of taken uh, a lot of the effort of sustainability and turned it into an administrative task rather than actually doing good work in the field. And so the thought process for Leading Harvest was, you know, could we create a program that could harmonize or standardize that landscape, allowing a producer to show up to whoever their stakeholders might be, you know, be it a direct customer experience or selling into a supply chain or going to their lend their lender and saying, here's how I can provide a broadly recognized assurance that I'm managing this farmland in a way that's sustainable and have it recognized in each of those channels we thought we could drive a lot of efficiency, which in turn would actually refocus the attention on doing the work as opposed to spending time in the office doing the paperwork. And so that that was the initial thought process. And then, you know, where we've evolved to over time is developing an understanding that if you're, you know, a supply chain company, you know, if you're a grocery store or a CPG or a food brand, those companies are also facing the same kind of complexity, right? They look in their supply chain and they say, hey, we're sourcing a hundred different ingredients. There's a hundred different sustainability programs associated with those ingredients. We need a more standardized and harmonized way of understanding our supply chain to provide the high quality assurance that our consumers are looking for. And so we really found this nice sort of convergence of interest from a producer perspective and from a supply chain perspective to say, you know, if we can harmonize this reporting landscape, we're going to be more efficient. We're going to focus on outcomes rather than paperwork, and we're going to be able to drive much larger impact at a greater scale. It's hard for farmers. I mean, we are sustainable. You know, we know that we are, we know that we can always get better, but it's hard at the same time to like rattle off how we're sustainable because mm -hmm. it's just there's so many things that are done that we don't even think about I think you know and once um sustainable kind of became that buzzword not too long ago you kind of uh you know went back and looked like oh wow like yeah we actually do a ton of things like you know the dairy industry we recycle water like I think the average is seven times um, on a farm before it, it goes into the land or whatever. And it's stuff like that you don't necessarily think about because you do it every day, but it makes a big impact on the future. So I think it's great that you are kind of bridging the gap between the farmer and consumer um, and, you know, the ever all the middlemen to kind of tell people how we're being sustainable and just getting that word out there. Yeah, and you make, you make such a good point there. Um... You know, you think about farms that have been operating family businesses for multiple generations. And of course, sustainability has to be baked into that. You wouldn't have a multi-generation business if you if you weren't being sustainable. And to your point, often it's the things that you maybe have been doing for multiple generations 
that you haven't really thought of in that light, but they make good farming sense. They're good economic, you know, it's it's sound economics. And a lot of what we're trying to do with leading harvest is sort of unearth that good work that's being done, set, shed some light on it and not say to farmers, like, you know, you have to do things totally differently than what you're doing before, not come in and say, hey, you need a bunch of training to do things in the way that we're telling you to do things, but just say, you know, you're doing a lot of great work today. How do we recognize it? How do we consistently third party validate it? And then how do we share that with the supply chain in a way that they recognize? Mm -hmm. And then how do we take a, a little more steps forward to keep continuing to get better? That's right. That's right. And continuous improvement is one of the core principles of our of our program. Um, and I think, you know, everyone recognizes this isn't sort of a, uh, you know, this is a journey, right? There's never going to be a perfect end state. And so it's just always kind of doing a little bit better every day. That's great. Do you work with all sorts of farmers or mainly like crop farmers? Yeah, so our our standard currently, uh, we have enrollment over across 100 different row and permanent crop types. So currently our standard is just focused on cropland, but every crop you can think of, you know, corn and soybeans, to almonds, to rice, to apples, viticulture, I mean, truly every, every crop you can think of. Uh, where we aren't today, although we are planning on getting to, is to have sort of a pasture and livestock component to our standard, both recognizing that you know, there are places where there's integrated cropland and livestock operations. We want to be able to cover those. And also, you know, you think about the dairy industry, the livestock industry, you know, we want this standard to really be able to harmonize across those segments of the sector as well. Yeah, I know we, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the farm program, um, but most producers, at least around here, um, require you to be a part of it. And it, it may, it um, basically just make sure that you are um, taking good care of your animals. You have good animal welfare um, and all those things. And in this last year, they just um, launched like a sustainability portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. It was, I don't even know, like a million questions just about the most random things that like I did. I wasn't really sure how it was all going to go in. And then they calculated it and kind of showed us what our carbon footprint was at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think the plan for that is that either every year, or every few years, you're going to go back and refill that out to see kind of how you're getting better. Is this sort of like the same concept that you're, you're going to continually work with the farmers to, you know, almost ensure that they're getting better every year? Yeah. Yeah. Similar concept in some respects. So, um, so our program requires annual auditing. The way that it works is you do sort of you do a full certification audit in the first year, and that's sort of a heavier piece of work. And then you do ongoing sur surveillance audits, which are sort of lighter pieces of work. That's what allows you to sort of see your performance year over year and identify where are the pl places where we can target continuous improvement uh, in terms of our performance. The only distinction is is that. Um, our the way that our standard works is you know we don't send out a long questionnaire really what happens is an independent auditor shows up and they try and really sort of almost get inside your business and understand how do you operate today and including you know how can they take information as you maybe are already collecting it so say you're participating in that program or other programs you know an auditor to our standards is going to show up and say hey give me all the stuff you're already working on 
in whatever format you're, you know, you're collecting information. I'm also going to have conversations with you. And it's their responsibility to essentially fill out the framework on the back end. So rather than giving a farmer a long questionnaire, they're showing up and sort of working through that process with them and to the greatest extent possible, trying to take, you know, the the documentation information they already have and use it so they're not just replicating work that's already been done. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Nobody has time for that. And especially and if sure they, don't have time for that. Yeah, and then they're not going to want to join if they've got to do all this extra work and stuff. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's what it's the thing I consistently hear is just like, don't give us more paperwork to do. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that, you know, almost every farmer is going to want to know how they're doing you know, and how they can become more sustainable. But if you're going to tack on more work, they're probably going to be like, oh yeah, I think we're good. (laughs) It's just not, it's not worth it if you're spending more time in the office. Yeah, exactly. Um, Is there like an application program to work with you guys or how does that work? Yeah. So we have a pretty simple process. Uh, We have a very simple application um, where we'd collect just a, a light bit of information, mostly just about the business from a high level perspective. And then the work is actually to go through that, that sort of those certification processes and that, you know, depending on how long you want to be involved in the program, that just occurs over the length of time that you want to be in the program. Um, But that from an application perspective, you know, we have, it's a very simple process. Awesome. Um, And then, Kind of going over from the farmer to the consumer side, how how is this um, leading harvest kind of working for consumers? Is it something that is advertised to them or are you mainly working with like the supply chain to get these farmers like a higher premium or how how is that working? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I would say it's a sort of nuanced and evolving answer, um, at least from what we hear and talking to a lot of the companies in the supply chain is... You know, what we're hearing is that there's sort of, first of all, I'll say this, the the amount of attention that the consumer is giving to topics around sustainability, traceability, you know, understanding where their food was produced and how, that trend line is just, I mean, it is exponentially rising. And so we know that there's a tremendous amount of interest from the consumer perspective. What we also hear from some of the companies that we talk to is there, there's a little bit of fatigue in terms of kind of more of the labeling space. And so when we talk to companies, they say, you know, we don't necessarily think that this is something that needs to become a label that a consumer is interacting with on a day-to-day basis. What they're looking for more is sort of a back-end engine that can help verify the claims that they want to be making publicly. So if you're, you know, if you're, for example, you know, one of our partners that we work with is is Nestle and Nestle has enormous commitments around regenerative sourcing. They, you know, they want to be able to talk about their regenerative sourcing goals in the way that Nestle wants to talk about them. But we're working with them on the back end to be the third party verification partner that can back up those claims that they're going to be making in the marketplace. Um and so we we see this as more of a supply chain facing certification that you know can be used at the producer level to help gain access to markets, be more competitive, potentially unlock premiums uh, from from their buyers. And I'm sure since the company is fairly new, you've obviously got a lot of big plans ahead. Or you know where do you where do you see it going? Um, yeah. Do you kind of see? just growing or adding on more things or how, how does that, you know, how does the the next five years work? Look, (laughs) well, 
Well, this is, we're talking now at the end of the year, so it's a perfect time to be asking this question because we're obviously doing a lot of thinking about next year and the, and the years ahead. Um, I'll tell you sort of two things that we're really focused on right now as an organization. The first is that we launched Leading Harvest in the U.S. to be a U.S.-based organization, but we knew that the potential for the program was global. And we knew that because, you know, if you look at agricultural commodities, obviously those flow globally. And so to fulfill that value proposition of being a harmonizing or standardizing force, we couldn't just be in the U.S. Because if you're a Costco or a Walmart or a Kroger, you're sourcing everywhere in the world. And so we in this past year took our first step toward that global ambition through a pilot program that we ran in Australia, where we had about 650,000 hectares or about a million and a half acres participating in that pilot. We're now going to be launching that program publicly next year. And that for us is really the first step in a journey toward turning the organization outward so that, you know, if you're a producer anywhere in the world, if you're a supply chain company anywhere in the world, you can look to that leading harvest certification to provide the assurance you need for the marketplace. So that's one big area of focus for us right now. The second area of focus for us, I would say, is around uh, engaging the supply chain more to create recognition of our certification so that when a producer shows up to the market, you know, be it their you know, processing supplier or directly to a retailer or to a consumer, they can show up with that certification and it gives them access to that market, potentially helps them unlock premiums. You know, it makes them more competitive in their supply chain. And we view that, you know, not only directly with sort of the, the, the products that are being purchased, but we also think there's a significant role to play in other segments of the value chain. So if you think about, you know, if you're a, if you're an input provider or you're an equipment company or an irrigation company, or you're a lending institution, all of these companies are trying to figure out how do they advance sustainability at the field level? How do they advance good environmental, social, and governance practices at the field level? And so we want producers to be able to show up to their lender and to their equipment company and say, hey, I'm certified to this program. I'm helping to create, contribute to you know, planetary scale, environmental, and social challenges. And that that improves their relationship with those key, you know, stakeholders that they interact with on a daily basis. That's awesome. Um, with the with kind of going global, will you still mostly work with supply chains in the United States and like focus on you know the products coming in, or are you kind of hoping to branch out to other countries? Yeah. So more of the latter. So, you know, we'll still work with companies, obviously, in the U.S. who's who might be sourcing globally. We'll also be working with transnational companies, uh, you know, so Nestle is a good example of that. Uh, and we'll be working with companies, you know, in Australia, you know, grocery retailers in Australia that have their own sourcing goals that they might be sourcing in Australia and outside of Australia, but they're also looking for that kind of harmonized solution. So our work in the supply chain will 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 uh, will span geographies as well. Awesome. Um, do you getting tangled up here? <laughs> um, do you see the amount of producers kind of growing exponentially as you? Um, kind of grow a little bit more? I mean, like when you audit, are you sending people directly to the farm or are they 
um, doing most of the things like over the phone and on the computer and stuff? Yeah, so the, the, the way uh, that our program works is, um, is uh, I'll say a couple things. So first of all, we definitely see there being exponential growth in the adoption of this program. That is contingent on, I would say, our success in the supply chain, because we know that in order for producers to want to be able to opt into this program, they're going to have to recognize some kind of economic value for it. You know, whether it be a premium payment or it's just an access to market equation or, you know, it's a it's a, you know, mitigate for regulatory risk. There has to be some, you know, economic value proposition. And so the, the more that we can unlock those in, engagements in the supply chain, we do expect to see, you know, in, in, in exponential growth in terms of the adoption of the program. Um, around your question around auditing specifically, uh the the way that our program is really structured is uh, when you can, especially when you can aggregate growers together, and you can think about it as like through a cooperative structure, or through a commodity association, or through like a supply chain, like a processor. As long as those uh, there's the sort of appropriate safeguards in place, and those growers ag agree to abide by the sustainability program of leading harvest we have a methodology where they can be statistically sampled during an auditing process. So it means not every grower is necessarily getting visited every year, uh, but there's sort of a spot checking that occurs. And it's, it's one methodology that we have for really scaling this more efficiently and driving down the cost of the individual farm level. Um, and that program we developed with support from the Walton Family Foundation that were you know, keenly interested in helping us think through you know, how do you make this more accessible? How do you make it more scalable? That makes a lot more sense, like working with co-ops and stuff, because then you can reach a far wider group of people that still have a similar mindset of, you know, how they want to farm and move forward. That's that's right. Uh, uh, I mean, as you know, there's a, there's a ton of farms in this country. A door-to-door a door -door strategy would be very challenging. <laughs> that, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't going to knock it, but I was like, yeah. co-op co sounds a lot, like a lot faster streamlining to, yeah. to getting the bottom line down. Um, so we, um, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Poor Amber's going to have to edit. <laughs> um, if a farmer's interested, should they reach out to you? Should they reach out to a co-op? What is the best route to working with you guys? Yeah, I think the best route to, to for working with us is to reach out to us directly. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the things that we do with some of the folks that do reach out to us is uh, obviously we're we're in our early stages as an organization. So we haven't talked to everybody. We haven't talked to all the supply chain companies that we could. And so, you know, sometimes we have folks that reach out to us who say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in this program, you know, the 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 buyers that I'm working with or the stakeholders that really matter to me are, you know, you know, the following. And I would love for them to sort of recognize this program to help support this program. And we're always open to and happy to have conversations with, you know, stakeholders that are important to people that are interested in our program to help sort of pave that path for, you know, recognition and adoption of, of, of this initiative. But the easiest way is for people to reach out to us directly. Okay. Do you want to, before we wrap up, um, just tell everyone where we can find you, you know, your website or if you're on any social media platforms? Yeah, the easiest place to find us is through our website, which is leadingharvest.org. 
And on that, you'll find some contact information and anyone who's interested can reach out through that and we'll get back to you right away. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to um, be on here and tell us all about Leading Harvest. I know um, I had not heard of it before you guys reached out. So I'm really happy um, that we'll kind of be able to spread the good word and hope that maybe in the future, you know, our milk co-op or something will, will kind of join it. I think it's it's an incredible initiative to to just help farmers bridge the gap um, to connecting with consumers. And I think it's I think it's a great idea and I think it's going to go far. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I just want to say thank you for uh, the great work you're doing with this podcast, but also for the work you're doing uh, in producing food, which is just, you know, there's there's no higher calling than that. And just really appreciate that you're doing that. Thank you. That means a lot as it's snowing and disgusting out today. (laughs) It's not it's not easy. No, (laughs) but it is worth it. Uh, Well, thank you again. And I hope you have a great night. You too. Yeah. Thank you so much.